Well, hi everyone. Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Teaching Podcast. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Alex Culpepper. I am the pastor here at Alliance Bible Church, and uh, I figured I'd take the opportunity just to share uh, some reflection with you. This is reflection that I've been doing as I've been working uh, through a polity course for part of my ordination process, and so uh, so I wanted to take the opportunity to share kind of what we've been working on in that course with all of you. And so um, so before we get too far, I want to ask you the question. Um, and it's a question that you've probably had to interact with to some degree or another, but, but I want to ask you this question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And then I want to talk about a, a problem that maybe you can associate with a little bit. So ha- have any of you ever thought that you really understood something well, only to come to find out that that you really only understood a small piece of that thing. You really thought you had had something correct in your mind, you had the full picture, only to come to find out that that what you understood was actually a small piece of the bigger picture. Uh, When I was a kid, I actually had this kind of experience with music. When I was in high school, I... uh, I, you know, I, I could read music really, really well. Um, I could play a lot of different instruments. Um, on top of that, I had written music myself. Uh, I could read different kinds of music, different kind for, for different kinds of instruments. Um, I, I knew all my scales really well. And so like with all of this stuff, like I thought, hey, I've probably got close to the full picture of, of what music is supposed to be. And so then I got to college, and in college I had to take something called music theory. And music theory absolutely blew my mind, because in music theory I discovered that there was so much depth and intricacy to music, and I had only really seen the tip of the iceberg in everything that I had done in high school. And so uh, so there were a lot of things about music that I had yet to understand uh, including like chord structures and and different kinds of chords and the way that you arrange those chords and in, in order to make sounds that are pleasant to the ear, um, I found that in the in music theory I found that there was a, a level of depth that I could not po- have possibly understood had I not taken that class. I, and, I, and beforehand I thought I really had the bigger picture, and and I think honestly that sometimes this is what we do with the gospel. Uh, I think we're too quickly satisfied with our understanding of it. And, and there's actually a level of depth to it that we have yet to realize. So uh, so I appreciate being a part of, of the, the Alliance, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, because uh, we're actually a part of a tradition that tries to speak of the gospel in, in a way that somehow recognizes the depth that exists within it uh, by providing us with this this tool that we call the fourfold gospel, and so uh, so I figured it'd be beneficial for us, you know, when we ask the question, "What is the gospel?" to take a look at that fourfold gospel that the alliance provides for us that uh, that helps us to get a bigger picture of the depth that actually exists within the gospel. And so, um, so I, we'll just start by looking at the first fold of that fourfold gospel. And this is probably the one that we're fo- most familiar with. In fact, when somebody asks you, 
what is the gospel? This is probably the thing that you would get closest to articulating to them. But this first fold of the fourfold gospel is this. It's Christ our Savior. And uh, before we get too far, I, I think we have to define our terms a little bit. We have to, to look at what the word gospel actually means. Uh, the, the word gospel simply means this. It means good news about Jesus. Gospel is good news about Jesus. So when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about uh, the good news about Jesus. And so the first fold of this fourfold gospel is Christ our Savior. And so so uh, that leads us naturally to ask the question, okay, what is good news about the fact that Jesus is our Savior? And I'll tell you that right now. Jesus' coming is good news because when we place our confidence in him, he saves us. Jesus' coming is good news because when we place our confidence in him, he saves us. And this is what it means that Christ is our Savior. So, so what that means is that we need to actually acknowledge two things. First, we need to acknowledge the things which we need saving from. Because what this implies is that there's actually something that we need to be saved from. And the second thing that we need to acknowledge is the means by which Christ offers salvation to us. So uh, so I want you uh, to consider with me, if you have a Bible with you, it might be beneficial for you to open it. Uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 3, uh, and we're going to start in verse 21. And this is, we're just going to take a look at... Uh, the, the problem that we have, the thing that we need to be saved from, and also uh, the, what Christ has accomplished or how Christ accomplishes that salvation. So, uh, so let's look at verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So we have to go back a little bit and think about the context leading up to this point. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about the fact that all people everywhere are evil and unrighteous at their core that at their core they're actually doing the things that God doesn't want and it doesn't matter if the person has is a follower of the law or not a follower of the law all people are shown to be unrighteous according to the standard of the law which means that that there's no hope for people being called righteous and the actually the implications of that are that, that unrighteous people actually have judgment due to them for their unrighteousness, for their failure to meet God's standard. But then verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has manifested, has shown itself apart from the law. So that, that God has actually done something apart from the law that, that is actually revealing, in a process of revealing, of showing his Righteousness, And then it says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And, and then verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, so all people, it doesn't matter. There is no distinction. Every single person is sinful and has fallen short of God's righteousness. And that's what it says in verse 23. Uh, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that every single person is evil and sinful and wicked at their core. But verse 22 says, God has revealed his righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, that for every person who has faith in Jesus Christ, 
who believes in him, his righteousness is available. And verse 24 goes on to say, they are justified by his grace as a gift. So every every place in this passage where it says righteous, it says righteous uh, three or four different times. It says justified here. But if you go back to the original language, it's the same exact word. And what that word justified means, it's, it's, it's him saying, it's Paul saying that these people are made righteous. So sinful people, wicked people, people who were naturally against God, who did things that God did not love, but in fact that he has to judge, those same people who believe in Jesus are now made righteous by his grace as a gift. That God did not have to to give this to us, but he chose to give us this gift of being made righteous through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. What that is, is it, it means he's simply a substitute. That, 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 that we were due judgment for our sin, but in, instead Jesus stood in our place and took the punishment for our sin. He allowed his blood to be shed on the cross for us that we might simply receive this gift of grace that God is giving us by faith, by trust, by confidence, by believing in him. And then in verse 26, if we skip down just a little bit, it says it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So God did this to reveal his righteousness so that he might be just. So he can't just let sin go. He had to do something to judge it. And so he put that judgment on Jesus And showed himself to be the justifier, the one who makes people righteous. Showed himself to be the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. So so this is what this means. The problem that we have, we human beings are evil and disobedient and we deserve the wrath of God for this disobedience. But God has made it possible for us to be considered righteous. And this is how he did it. This is the means by which Christ gives us salvation. He put Jesus forward as a blood sacrifice and a substitute for us, for our sin, so that every person who believes in Jesus could be made righteous before God, even though we were evil and disobedient, and that we could be set free from the judgment that we deserved, so that God might see us as holy and blameless, and pure, and above reproach. And this gives to us the promise of an eternal life with God. And that is Christ, our Savior. That is the first fold of this fourfold gospel, the foundational principle of what Christ has accomplished for us, the good news that when we place our confidence in Christ, he saves us. So then we go on to the second fold. The second fold is Christ, our sanctifier. And this is one piece, I feel like, so we're evangelicals, right? That's how we identify. We're Bible-believing Christians who, who are, are convinced that the gospel is the thing that we need to proclaim. But, but I feel like sometimes the idea that, that Christ is our sanctifier can kind of get lost on us um, 
but but the 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 expectation of scripture is that the Christ who saves us actually will indeed sanctify us which means that there is not a Christ who is savior without there being a Christ who is also a sanctifier and, and that word sanctifier simply speaks of Jesus's action as a change agent in our lives so we were at one time unrighteous and unholy but Jesus takes unrighteous and unholy people and what he does is he transforms them from the inside out so let's talk about why this is good news why this is gospel jesus is coming is good news because when we place our confidence in him he will change us Ephesians chapter 5, it speaks of this process. And uh, the whole chapter really really talks about the whole process of what it looks like to, to take the things that we are doing that, that God doesn't want us to do and, and to do away with them, to kind of die to them, to flee from those previous behaviors and to actually change. And then Ephesians five eighteen says something like this. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So that in doing away with all of these things that are actually against what God wants for us, that we're, we become more and more the kind of people that, that God wants us to be, he actually starts changing us. And it says that, that as a part of that process, what we do is that, that, that we look to the Holy Spirit to fill us. We look to the Holy Spirit to actually create this change inside of us. So uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 book of Romans talks about Jesus, 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 all the way up. And it keeps talking about Jesus to the end, but but all the way up to chapter 12, it, it's just talking about everything that Jesus has done and, and what it means and what it accomplishes. And then in Romans 12, there's a big shift in perspective. And in Romans 12, uh, verse 1 says, Paul says to the Romans, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He, he actually goes to the Roman people, and after he finishes talking about this Christ who has saved us, he talks about a change that is going to come about as a result. So he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but he says, be transformed, be changed by the renewal of your mind. That's what he calls for. He says to be changed by the renewal of your mind. And so, so there, the reality is, is that there are specific points in the life of every Christian where, where we come to, to a point where we have to decide, okay, yes, we are going to surrender to the Lord's will. We are going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and we actually arrive at these points through, through a crisis, a crisis of discovering the results of not surrendering thus far in our life. Like we come to a crisis that God creates for us to, to help us see like the problem that we have because we have not surrendered. And then something happens. We actually decide, okay, to get past this crisis, we need to surrender. We need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And when we surrender, that's when we ask for the Spirit that Christ sent the Holy Spirit, we ask for him to renew us, to do his work of transformation inside of us. 
And not only is this Holy Spirit that Christ sent, not only is it from Christ, but he is actually the presence of Christ within us. And, and not only that, but he is actually transforming us into the image of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 uh, notes this well. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that is Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image, into his image, from one degree of glory to another. And it says, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the promise that us wicked people, that, that we actually have the promise of when we place our confidence in Christ, we get the promise that Christ is actually going to start changing us from the inside out. Well, the third fold. The third fold is all about Christ, our healer. So so one aspect of knowing Jesus that I feel like we often forget to acknowledge is the fact that he is an, a healer. He's in fact a healer. In fact, the primary way that he became known in the first century in the ministry that he was doing was because he performed supernatural physical healings of people. And he promised to his disciples that he would actually empower them with the same Holy Spirit to carry on these things. And so Jesus' coming is good news because when we place our confidence in him, he displays his power over physical ailments. So uh, scripture talks about provision for the healing of the physical body. Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, the, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And this is not just healed in a spiritual sense, but, but somehow in the redemption that Christ has earned, he gives us the promise of physical healing. And so therefore, James chapter 5 tells us to ask for this healing. Uh, verse 13, James 5.13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. All of this stuff is telling this person who is sick to simply ask, to go to the elders of the church, to have the elders of the church follow a kind of protocol. And, and then verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The, 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 the goal is to get us in a place where we are recognizing that we are broken people. We have broken souls and broken bodies. And so we confess our sins. And we seek the Lord's healing for those broken souls, but then we ask together on each other's behalf for him to heal those broken bodies with full expectancy that that's what he's going to do. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here's the reality. Jesus healed when he walked the earth, when he was doing his ministry. Jesus has actually healed people throughout church history through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is actively healing people today. And there are stories all over the place of Jesus doing this work. Jesus' healing is available as a part of his redemption. And so even though this is not always realized, we recognize God's sovereignty in the situation. We need to consider that because God has purposes that we can't always understand. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are, are not my ways. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, way, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It means that God, God has sovereignty. We look forward with expectancy, but at the same time, we acknowledge that, that God has his will and purposes. And so you might ask the question, what if I am never physically healed? I might ask for a lot, but, but what if I never experienced that? Can I still experience Christ as healer? 
I want to tell you very clearly that, that we can experience Christ as healer. We can witness him healing other people in our Christian community, and we can celebrate that. We can continually seek him, knowing that, that what he desires are good things, knowing that he desires us to ask these things. And we can understand that in the new creation that we get to experience. The creation that he promises to us, we will fully know his healing in our physical bodies because he will give us new bodies that will not be ailed by death, that will not be ailed by sickness, that will not be ailed at all, but will be perfectly whole. And that brings us to the fourth fold, which is Christ, our coming King. Finally, Jesus is coming as good news because he is coming again to make all things right and all things new. Second Peter 3, verses 10 through 13 says, The day of the Lord is coming, and that's going to come like a thief. The day of the Lord is the day that Jesus returns. And, and he's actually going to make all things right. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. He actually has to do away with this broken aspect of creation. All the works that are done on earth are going to be exposed. He's going to show the wrong that has been done up to this point. And he's going to do away with it. He's going to judge it. And so verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? We are to live in light of this judgment as, as holy people, as godly people. We are to live in light of this judgment, calling other people to holiness and godliness. Waiting for the hastening, the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt away and burn. Like All of this is going to happen. God is going to undo all the brokenness that exists in creation. And verse 13 says this, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see this fourth fold, this fourth fold, it sets our eyes on our blessed hope that there will one day be a creation where everything is perfect, where God will reign in righteousness, where this world will be as it should be. And so this blessed hope encourages us to live godly lives and implore others to do so as well. So these four folds, they take us beyond simply settling for the tip of the iceberg of this good news about Jesus. And they show us the expansive nature of who he is and the innumerable blessings that are poured out on those who have faith, who have confidence, who have trust in Jesus. They are the compelling aspects of his nature that would cause us to sing hymns like this one. Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus, can my heartfelt longing still. Lo, I pledge myself to Jesus, what he wills alone to will. For my heart, which he has filled, ever cries, Lord, as you will.